We've all heard the age-old saying that dogs are man's best friend, and now that might really be the case for oncologists after a recent study found that 97% of specialty-trained dogs can accurately identify lung cancer. Welcome to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Paul DeGramji, and joining me today is Dr. Tom Quinn, a clinical associate professor at Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine and a member of the team who worked on this intriguing study. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Quinn. Well, thank you for having me. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. All right. So let's just start with the question on everyone's mind, uh, Tom. Why, of all things, did you choose to study how dogs may be able to identify cancer? What gave you and the team the idea to design such a study? I really wish I could claim that it was my idea. I have to give credit to Heather Jenkirik. She's a nationally known uh, dog trainer, and her father had died of lung cancer. And since she was working with dogs and knew their ability to detect things by odor, she got the idea that they should be able to detect cancer. And then she approached us here at the Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine to cooperate with her in this research. Wow, how interesting. Very interesting. Now that we know what led to this study being done, let's dive into the details. Were certain types of dog breeds used and what kind of training did they receive? Okay, well, we'll start with the type of dogs. We use dogs from the scent hound group of dogs because these are the dogs with the most acute sense of smell. And we use mainly beagles. And we chose beagles because they are of the temperament that they are very easy to train, they're easy to please, and they are very social dogs, so they get along. We're also just now starting to experiment with uh, basset hounds who are also in the scent hound group, and we have some basset hounds that are just puppies, and they're just in starting into the training program now, and we're hoping they're going to be as good as the beagles. Wow, that's really cool because you've chosen sort of friendly uh, and uh, patient dogs. So take, take us through the process. What is that actually like, the training process? Okay, the training process is an eight-week process. And it, it doesn't sound like it's long, but you, we can completely train a dog in eight weeks. And what we do is the first two weeks, we'll set out five samples. And four of those samples will be negative. And in the fifth container, we put a dog treat. So we train the dogs to go around and sniff the different containers. And when they get to the dog treat, then they're trained to sit in front of that container. Then after two weeks, they're fully trained to identify the treat. And then we add cancer to the treat. We add a sample of cancer. Day by day, the amount of treat is made smaller and smaller. By the end of uh, the second set of two weeks, the dog is able to identify just the cancer, and then we have an additional four weeks where we just reinforce that same behavior over and over again day by after day until the end of the eight weeks, they're fully trained and very accurate in detecting the sample that has the cancer. So, Tom, how do the patients interact with the dogs? Actually, there is no interaction with, uh, with the patients at all. We get a sample from the patients. Originally, we started with blood samples, but we have found that breath samples are even more accurate. Basically, we just have the patient breathe into a paper surgical mask, 
uh, just like you could buy in any drugstore. They breathe into the mask for about five minutes. They put the mask into a mailing envelope, and they mail it back to the laboratory. So somebody could be in California and breathe into a mask and mail the mask to our laboratory in Florida, and then a section of the mask is presented to the dogs, and they can identify whether that patient has cancer or not. So in the clinical studies that you've done, what have been the results of the study using these uh, cancer-sniffing dogs, you know, the false negatives and false positives? Well, the one study that we have published, you have to remember, this is a relatively new uh, process that we're doing, and so far we've only published one article, and that was in the Journal of the American Osteopathic Association, and we tested dogs for non-small cell carcinoma, and the dogs were 96.7% sensitive and 97.5% specific in identifying the non-small cell carcinoma. Since that time, we have been uh, experimenting with using breath samples. We've just completed a second study, which we're in the process of uh, getting it published right now, on breast cancer, and we have found the dogs are 100% sensitive and 97.5 specific when they are uh, detecting breast cancer. Well, for those of you just tuning in, this is Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Paul DeGramji, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Tom Quinn about a recent study which found that dogs can detect lung cancer with surprising accuracy. So, Tom, now that we've covered what the study entailed and what was found, let's talk a little bit about its implications. So, this may be a better question for the dogs, but do different types of cancer have their own unique smell, and could dogs be used to detect other cancers as well? Because you said that this was with small cell cancer that uh, your study was done. Right now, we have dogs that are trained to detect the general cancer odor. We have dogs that are trained to detect breast cancer and dogs that have been trained to detect non-small cell lung cancer. We are just starting, in fact, just two days ago, we received a research grant from the Fight Colorectal uh, Cancer Foundation, and we're going to start studying colorectal cancers and the diagnosis using dogs. So looking ahead then about the implication of this, so how can we expect then our canine friends working alongside oncologists or maybe even other clinicians? I mean, are these dogs there for screening of cancer or are they for the detection of cancer after treatment? How do you envision these dogs to be used? All of the above. Now, primarily in the beginning, we're hoping to use it to screen large numbers of people for cancer because it's much uh, less expensive uh, and less invasive than normal screening. Let's just take breast cancer. Uh, the normal screening method is a mammography, and mammographies are 87% uh, sensitive, whereas our dogs have proven to be 100% sensitive. The test is a lot less expensive to perform and does not expose the patient to radiation and does not cause pain like a mammogram does when they must squeeze the breast in order to do the mammogram. So there's a lot of advantages and where this could be used uh, for mass screenings. Right now, when, they, when we, a sample is sent into the laboratory, uh, we will have a dog screen the sample for the general cancer and if it's positive, then we have a screen specifically for the lung and the breast cancer. Now, as time goes on, we'll be training dogs for the colorectal cancer, 
prostate cancer, pancreatic cancer. And we're not to that stage yet, but that's what we're going to be doing in the near future. Well, you know, the economic and clinical implications of this are just astounding. I mean, right now we spend a lot of money doing colonoscopies for colon cancer, the time and the money involved in that, as well as, as you said, mammography. So do you envision at some point sniffing dogs to replace these kinds of testing? I think the possibility is definitely there. We need to do more research in order to be able to say positively But yes, absolutely, we have the potential that we could replace many of those tests, do it a lot cheaper. With the colonoscopies, the patient would not have to undergo the PrEP. I've had a colonoscopy, and the PrEP is worse than the colonoscopy. Uh, Plus, you have to be put under anesthesia, uh, whereas with this, you just simply breathe into a mask and send it off to the laboratory. So, all right, uh, tell me about the next study designs. Uh, What are you looking at? We're doing a number of things. Uh, One of the things, like I already mentioned, we're expanding out and we're going to be starting to uh, study additional types of cancer. And by the way, uh, the Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine, we have a uh, collaborative research agreement with a group called Biosent DX. And they're the ones that actually train the uh, dogs And if anybody wants to get the test, all they need to do is go online uh, to Biosent DX and they will be able to uh, have a kit sent to them and they can have the testing done right now. Uh, Also, the other thing that we're doing is uh, when we do get positive samples, we bring them back to the laboratory here at LECOM and we are trying to fractionate these samples and then to identify what the biomarkers that the dogs are identifying. And once we identify these biomarkers, and that's not as easy, it sounds like it would be real easy to do, uh, but it's not. Uh, but once we're able to identify the biomarkers, then we would be able to de- get a chemical test that could detect it so that I envision in the future a test that you would breathe into a tube uh, and it would turn positive or negative, just like a pregnancy test that you buy at the local drugstore right now. Unbelievable. This is so interesting. You know, Tom, let me ask you another question. Is anybody else doing anything like this? Yes, there are. Uh, we are not the only ones. We know of four other uh, large universities in the United States that are doing it. Plus, internationally, there uh, are many other places that are doing it. Uh, but we know of four other institutions in the United States that are experimenting with this. Wow. Well, Tom, I'd like to thank you for joining me today to talk about this fascinating study and for giving us insights into what the future of cancer detection may potentially look like. It was great having you on the program today. Well, thank you. I enjoyed being here, and hopefully we were able to educate your listeners. Absolutely. I'm Dr. Paul DeGramji, and you've been listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. To access this episode and others in this case, visit ReachMD.com slash Clinician's Roundtable, where you can be part of the knowledge.